Thank you, worship team. Wonderful, wonderful hymns being sung this morning. Some of those, you must uh, have blown some dust off some of the books around. Good to hear them. It's good to hear them. You know, the toughest thing to do is to sit there and not sing. I can't understand anybody not wanting to sing, unless now you've You've got a voice that sounds a little like a raven. I can understand it. And you don't want to share that with everybody. But if you have any voice at all sitting there, and I've had a bit of a, a bug this weekend, it's just being there and trying to restrain myself from singing. It's a difficult task. Let me take a moment and welcome those who are visiting with us today. And people have just returned home from long absences. Dennis, good to have you back with us again. And Darlene's been mentioned already today, the Windsors from St. John's, and some of my own family as well. Uh, my brother Bain is here, and his wife Wavy, my mom and her husband Bob are here, and so I'm glad to have you in the congregation with us this morning. And uh, as well, there's some, some Pasadena folk with us that I know well. Good to have you folks with us. I want to talk to you this morning about Groaning or growing? Two thoughts. Groaning or growing? Now, most travel agencies try to obtain feedback from people who use their services. I'm going to niece who's in that business. I don't know if she ever received any of this kind of feedback or not. But they try to rate their service and uh, get to know whether the destinations they sell are really good places. Oh my goodness, I got to stop here. Amy and Travis didn't see you come in. Have you got a baby with you today? Oh my goodness. Brand new, brand new little boy with us today. And uh, God bless you. Good to have you back with us. And notice that the family's broken up into two separate parts there in the seats. <laughs> see what additions to the family will do to you already? Okay, I'll go back to preaching now. <laughs> One British agency collected some of their more bizarre responses and published them in a travel agency weird complaints file. Now, here's just a few of the many. This is the kind of thing, I guess, that makes travel agents groan and roll, roll their eyes a little bit. Have a listen to this. One person said, we went to ho a holiday to Spain and I had a problem with the taxi drivers because they were all Spanish. <laughs> Another person who went to a hot destination said, the beach was too sandy. Here's a good one. It took us nine hours to fly home from Jamaica to England, and it only took the Americans three hours to get home. <laughs> like the world's really not fair, is it? And here's, here's one, they must, have, they must have come somewhere close to here. I was bitten by a mosquito. No one told me they could bite. And then the coup de grace. My fiance and I booked a twin bedded room, but we were placed in a double bedded room. We now hold you responsible for the fact that I find myself pregnant. This would not have happened if you had put us in the room that we booked. I don't know about these people, but you know, the file had an ominous warning at the end and I can understand it. 
They walk among us and they vote. Be afraid, be very afraid. And uh, I agree, I agree with that. Now, let me take you to the writings this morning of someone who really did have something that he could have complained about. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 7 this morning. And Paul writes these words. To keep me from being conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. Point out, quite a statement, especially against the backdrop of any of us who have minor complaints. Study the book of Acts and the epistles down through the years, and, you're, and you're, your understanding of it will be refocused, and you'll see Paul's life in a startling new, new way. The early church, through the lens of its main participants, allows us a glimpse of these characters with a, with a fresh perspective, at least. I'm more aware than ever before after few years of study, and how much the church struggled. Ministry makes me aware that all of us struggle, and sometimes that comes back as complaints. We take what happens inside of life and we, we turn it into a, vernal, a, a verbal groaning. We turn it into an outcry of human frustration. You see, human nature seeks the safety of the shadows since we often try and make people believe that we're fine when we aren't. How you doing, Cal? Oh, I'm fine. That seems to be the most common response you, you, you will get. Now, sometimes you get more than you bargained for. You ask a question and you get a litany and it's almost as if the person should look at you and say, how much time have you got? First impressions may reveal a person who has everything together, but a calm and assured exterior may be a mask over a life and death spiritual battle or a personal struggle. And I saw that in the, in the earlier hours as I came to the, to the church this morning. Human nature is deceptive. And we see all kinds of tactics to avoid, to avoid unpleasantness. When you suffer, your mind can tell you that no one suffers like you do. It can tell you you're the only one suffering, and your mind can tell you that your cross is the heaviest there is to bear. Now, I've tried to learn not to glorify the characters of the book of Acts too, too much. And in our text, Paul floats between two extremes. He goes from surpassingly great revelations to a thorn in the flesh. He goes from seeing the glory of heaven to being slapped around by Satan. And Paul knew the gap between paradise and pain 
was often a very short one, and I don't mean the city on the east coast of the province. Could be some pain there too. So often that's where you and I live, in that, in that tough place. And the fact is, Paul's thorn in the flesh drove him to his knees to implore God to take it and produce some frustration in his life, like things that go on in your life and mine. I wish I could totally understand the purposes of God. If I'm his, and I know I am, and if I'm to live eternally with him, why in this world do I have to experience all of these negative things? Why does an apostle with Paul's amazing agenda need, let alone have to suffer, a messenger of Satan to beat him around and make his life miserable? Couldn't Paul have been even more effective as a, as a minister of the kingdom of God or as an evangelist going around the world if he didn't have to deal with all of these personal, personal pressures? And what was really wrong with him that he couldn't get rid of this thorn in the flesh? Surely he's one of the most spiritual people you'll ever meet. The thorn in the flesh is there. Every speculator in Christian history feels compelled to offer a guess at what was wrong with Paul. And we've joined in with them. We did something on this in our Bible study recently. We've asked if it was physical, is it a spiritual thing? Did Paul suffer great fits of depression? Some have suggested he had a disgusting discharge running from his eyes. Was there a special little demon that made Paul his target? I don't know. Every opinion is right and every guess could be wrong. It's still an unknown thing. I do know that Paul felt it. I knew that Paul felt it came from Satan. He calls it that, a messenger from Satan. I do know he wanted it gone, and I also know it didn't go. The word used to describe Paul's prayer for the thorn to be removed is a very intense word. The King James Version says that he besought the Lord, and the New International Version says he pleaded with the Lord. And perhaps it's something like we, we do at times. You know, we've prayed, Lord, save my children. Lord, touch my boss's heart. Lord, find, find me a wife. Or Lord, take away the one I've got. I saw those nudges and winks, uh, by the way. Lord, send more people to Bible study, even though I'm very impressed with this church's record there. And then, Lord, keep me awake during this sermon. That's got to be on a few minds this morning. See, the intensity of the prayer tells me that Paul wanted deliverance from his thorn. He knew life would be sweeter without it. Who wouldn't think like that? And he knew ministry would be easier. Yet grasp this point with me this morning. Paul prayed about the problem, but at some point in time, he stopped praying about it. After three times, and he's precise on this point, the three times he let go of it, he's so young and he already don't like preaching. The thorn stayed in Paul's life. But note this, and here's my title. He quit groaning and began growing. And here's a provocative thought that I wanted to bring to you this morning. 
Is it possible that God would have us to quit praying about something in our life because he has no intention of ever answering that prayer? Now, let's be careful. God's always committed to saving a lost soul. So don't drop unbelievers from your prayer list. Don't go doing drastic things and give up in despair on things you know are God's will. Things you know are God's will. I know it's not enough just to leave this point. Paul elaborates on his his experience. As far as he was concerned, the thorn had to stay. It was painful, but it had its purpose. Paul had witnessed visions and experiences that no one else did. He sat in heavenly places. Not even the original disciples saw some of the things that Paul saw. And in fact, Paul's visions have some of the elements of the revelation of John. But the thorn kept Paul from getting proud of his experience. It kept his feet on the ground, even when his mind was in the clouds. Remember the two men that went up into the temple to pray? One prayed with himself thusly, and the other one smote his breast and cried out to God for God to be merciful to him. Paul had once been one of those people. He had had all kinds of pride about his religious experience and about his his pedigree as a member of his faith. And Paul's suffering from his thorn revealed something very essential to him. It reminded him of how weak he was in the flesh or in himself. It reminded him that his dependence was in the Lord, for only in the Lord's strength could he continue his work while he suffered the presence of this messenger of Satan that at times would buffet him. And it was never that God abandoned him to it. That's certainly not what the history of the early church records. It was that God had Paul's attention because Paul's need and his dependence upon God was constant. I had a conversation this week, I think Wednesday night after Bible study, Ken and I had a long conversation. It's my contention that God can't use pride. God has no time for arrogance. It's always against his purposes. And Paul was taken down a few notches. He would go from the the great revelations to being debilitated by something that was happening inside of him. And Paul came to an understanding that it wasn't going, but that he could continue to grow despite the problem in his life. And we'd better be careful that we don't try and short-circuit God's plan for us by insisting on my way or no way. Like gold that's refined in the fire and like metal that is bent under heat and pressure, we're shaped by the pressure that's exerted on us. Ask a blacksmith about his tools if you can find, find one. I fixed a barbecue recently. Not well, because they're going to have to replace it. I clamped a piece of it in a vise and brought it back in line. Used uh, something with a set of steel jaws. Then I drilled it. Put some holes in it. Then I put rivets in it. I returned it to a useful state, but pressure and force had to be used. And the thorn in the flesh that maybe you and I have, it's not something we compete with God over. It's something God uses to make us useful to him. 
And see, we we may be acting against God if we spend our prayer time seeking to be rid of something that God finds valuable in shaping us into what he wants us to be. I don't need to remind you, but Johnny Erickson Tata is still in her wheelchair. But from her paintbrush and from her soul has come comfort for millions, both, both visual and literary. Fanny Crosby endured her blindness, but it sharpened her vision for a day when she would be changed and see her Lord, and it's in her song, Blessed Assurance. Remember the words? Perfect submission, perfect delight. A blind woman says, visions of rapture now burst on my sight. What wonderful words to come from someone who is blind. What an expression of dependence, and what an expression of faith. You see, paralysis and blindness does not retard the Spirit of God from doing its work. Living on earth is not the end of life, but only, as my Sunday school teacher used to tell me when I was a boy, we're in a dressing room for eternity. I watched, uh, I watched uh, Andrea Bocelli this week on a, a YouTube video, singing in the Mormon, in the Mormon ta- tabernacle and with the choir. Singing, uh, singing songs, and, and, and one of the songs he sang was Amazing Grace. And you know that he's, a, he's, an, amazing, he's an amazing singer, world famous. And I watched what happens to his, to his expression when he sang one line of Amazing Grace, and you know the line already. Go on YouTube and see it sometime. When he says, "'Twas blind, but now I see." Something happens to his, to his face. He's not really singing the song. He's looking forward to the moment. He's understanding what he's singing. And it's affecting him. And this great, this great man who sings, and I just can't get enough of his singing. I love the fact that he responded. He responded so that I could see what happens when it's, when he realized what future, what the future is like. See, Paul leads me to a conclusion, and let me tread on some dangerous ground for a while, which I really enjoy doing on this particular topic. Perhaps some of the faith healers of our day are trying to remove from people the very thing that God is using to preserve them from pride and its downfall. If we insist, if we insist on every little thing getting cured, it'll only make us more spoiled Christians than we already already are. And it might be time to quit groaning and begin growing. You see, pride is worse than a wheelchair. Maybe deaf ears really can help a person listen to God better. God's consoling message to Paul should be enough for us as well, because when Paul seeks the Lord over what's bothersome in his life, what does God tell him? My grace is sufficient for you. See, not always does God change the circumstances of life, but very often he changes us through the circumstances we face. If it's not gone yet, folks, it might not be. It might never be. Perhaps God's got some purpose in it, though. Is that a lack of faith? No, it may take more faith to trust God for what we have than to trust ourselves without it. 
No physical impairment will ever keep you out of the presence of God. It's our lack of dependence that has yielded some of the most devastating effects of life. And so we need to trust the provisions of God. Paul progressed through his experience. He went from praying to understanding and then to changing. He began by pleading for his infirmity to be taken, get this, to glorying in his infirmity. Rather than gripe about weakness, he grew from it and realized its value. It must have been a wonderful moment, but at, the, at some point he was transformed that, by the knowledge that God was being glorified through a life that was plagued by a terrible weakness. Paul had thought the trial he suffered only led to misery, but God used it to produce amazing ministry. There's a huge, there's a huge gap there. See, here's the reality of, of, of the thorn in the flesh. Satan used it like a club to hammer the apostle, to defeat him, maybe even to embarrass him, as some have suggested, but at least to discourage him, to make his prayers seem ineffectual. Yet God's grace and provision turned Paul's weakness into strength, and over three missionary journeys, he evangelized the Roman Empire. And I put, a, put it into a, into a slide that'll come up in a moment. And every red dot you see in the slide that we will show in a moment, every single red dot is a place where he planted churches and was given the honor of tur turning the world upside side down. A man with a thorn in the flesh traveled through the, through the Mediterranean world, and every red dot you see on the screen is victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil. Here's what God could do to a man who carried some amazing infirmities and weaknesses in himself. See, what God did with Paul is totally consistent with the message of the cross. God used pressure, pain, and death. The things that speak to most people of weakness to produce the greatest single act of strength this world has seen. Jesus, for the record, was impaled with thorns. His back was laid open with a scourge. His hands and feet were spiked to a cross, and a spear was driven through his side. Is there a greater picture of human weakness as someone who's hanging on a Roman cross? Yet from the cross of Jesus Christ flows forgiveness and redemption and eternal life. God has always used weakness to show his strength. Let us be aware this morning that the absence of pain or pressure doesn't translate to us as weakness. It translates as strength. Strength is not readable until it's tested. It's true of faith. You don't know what's bearable until you learn to trust the one who was able to bear the greatest weight which he did on the cross for the sinless life to absorb the sins of the world and carry them and cry out on the cross, tetelestai, which is translated, it is finished. But also the sound of a, of a Greek athlete crossing the finishing line and saying, I'm victorious. See, it's a perversion of the Christian message to say, trust Jesus and your troubles are over. Reject the message that says prosperity is the measure of God's blessing. 
That message belongs on Wall Street and Bay Street, carried to us by the bitter winds that flow out of some places where everything looks good. The real message comes from the streets of Jerusalem as a beaten man struggles with a cross on his way to the place of the skull. Rather, the message is trust Jesus and your troubles will never be so great that he can't use you in the midst of them. God often grows his choicest servants through the deepest adversity. That's the meaning, I believe, of the fellowship of his sufferings. That's the kind of power that makes a dying savior turn to a thief Regardless of his own pain, he reaches out to rescue a soul moments before painful death claims a victim and says, today you will be with me in paradise. I'm no fan of thorns. I don't relish the thought of a cross. Thorns in the flesh scare me like they scare you because the flesh always likes to deny pain or to stay as far away from it as we can. But there's no glory without Gethsemane. There's no victory without a battle. And there's no rising without first dying. Man, I had the honor of spending a little bit of time with the late evangelist C.M. Ward. Wrote that a class of children was told the story of Gethsemane, of Jesus being in the garden praying. The great drops of blood. One of the children was surprised with the words of Jesus when he told the disciples, remember the story, how he goes back to his disciples, couldn't you tarry for a while with me? Couldn't you watch and pray with me? And then he goes back to him and says, go back to sleep after he already awakened them twice to watch and pray with them. Then he says, sleep on. The teacher was lost for words, but the child had heard the story clearly. The young student proposed, teacher, I think I already know. It was because he had seen his father's face and he didn't need their help anymore. He knew where his dependence was. It was not on the ability of the disciples to stay awake with him, but it was on the ability of his father to sustain him in these moments. See, we often need to adopt a childlike trust when it comes to the difficult things of life. See, does the thorn in your flesh render you ineffective for the kingdom of God? Are you preoccupied with some kind of suffering? And let me suggest respectfully and suggest it first to myself. It may be time to stop groaning and begin growing. Can we move beyond the greatest preoccupation of our lives? We never will without the sufficiency of the grace of God. And then we can say with Paul, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, Paul says, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then... I am strong. Amen. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, as we spend these few moments in your presence, 
I pray that you by your spirit would search our hearts. There are things that happen to us that we we have to deal with. There are life-sustaining measures that have to be taken. We have to be wise to take them. But there are other times, Lord, when there are things that seem to stay with us. There are things that impact our lives. Sometimes we know they detract from our lives, but they seem to be constant. Even as this mighty apostle sought you diligently for relief from it, you gave him assurance that your grace would be sufficient for his life. And I pray for the things that we suffer continually today. There'll not be a reason for us to take our eyes off what you've asked us to do as Christians, but it will be a reason for us to trust you more deeply than we ever have before and to minister in personal weakness for sure, but in a deep and undying trust in your ability to keep us through what we face ourselves. I pray that you would bless us with the truth from your word this morning. I pray that it will find a real place to lodge inside of our souls and that we will pack this kind of truth away for the times when we need to remember it. It will tell us so much about ourselves and so much about you. May we not miss the message today that we don't glory in our strength, we don't glory in our ability. We only glory in the cross and in our weakness, but also we glory in Christ who is able to make us greater than anything we face. For greater is he who is in us and he who is in the world. And so bless us with this knowledge today and help us to put it to good, to good use. I pray now that the God of grace will be upon us today and within us. I pray that the blessing of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost would shine through us. And as we meet this world, as we meet suffering, and as we meet evil, we will do so in the sufficiency of Christ. And may your name be praised in us and through us. In your name we ask it. Amen. Amen.